It's a wonderful delight for me to be with you this morning and to be at this pulpit. I am so grateful for the opportunity to speak to you today. Throughout my 50 years of ministry, I've been privileged to preach from God's eternal word in numerous churches and many states and more than a dozen countries. But there is something quite wonderful about speaking in your home church. BlackRock has been our church home for almost 18 years. My thanks to uh, Pastor Steve and Larry for this opportunity. And I know they're very careful about um, sharing this pulpit. And also a great deal of thanks to the rest of the outstanding leadership team that God has and is using to build this great church. We have something quite marvelous going here. And frankly, if you don't believe in miracles, you're just not paying attention. And um, Daniil and I have a great fondness for you folks. I'm glad that there's um, so much lighting up here that I can't clearly see all of your faces. Um, Because, um, well, I just... um, I must try not to talk about our affection for you folks because, uh, like I said earlier, I only have one hanky with me and there's three services. So, um, at any rate, uh, BlackRock, under the leadership of uh, Pastor Allaby, uh, was instrumental in starting the Bridgeport Rescue Mission more than 26 years ago. Uh, BlackRock has been a faithful supporter of BRM, uh, startup funds, board members, volunteers, major um, part of our property tax bill with the city of Bridgeport has all come from Black Rock Church. Uh, There was a group of rescue mission leaders who came to Bridgeport about 27 years ago, met with a handful of the pastors of the largest churches in the area and trying to find out if there was um, a desire to start a rescue mission and if any would help. And uh, Pastor Allaby um, was so much convinced that we needed a rescue mission here that he put up $10,000 from Black Rock Church. And that was the greatest gift that they had received to start with. And so many of you are generous supporters of our ministry. Um, Our ministry of demonstrating God's love to the hungry, homeless, and addicted people of our region. Actually, uh, Pastor Larry, if you knew how much some of these folks gave to Bridgeport Rescue Mission, (laughs) you might be talking to them about redirecting their gifts. (laughs) Um, For these reasons, BlackRock has been one of the most influential churches in the life of Bridgeport Rescue Mission. Many other churches are greatly engaged, and we thank God for all of our ministry partners. Um, uh, I've been at the mission almost 18 years, and uh, October 25th uh, will end my duties as the executive director. I'm thrilled to be able to tell you that Mr. Frank Williams has been uh, called to be the new CEO of the mission. Frank has been with us for well over a year. He's our CFO and recently became our chief operating officer. 
And uh, I think him and uh, one of his daughters is here this morning. Frank, are you? I, I, I saw you earlier. Where are you? Right here. Right here. T- stand up and turn around and wave to these people. This is the new CEO of Bridgeport Rescue Mission. Frank, if I had a little more time this morning, I would tell you why I believe the board's choice of Frank is absolutely uh, the best choice they could have made. And uh, he comes with a wealth of experience and training and uh, a real passion. Suffice it to say that he has won the hearts and the respect of all of our staff at the, at the mission. And um, it is, um, uh, I'm very happy to uh, uh, turn over the helm of the ship to uh, Frank. When Daniil and I started attending Black Rock Church, our daughter Rebecca was 14 years old. And we will be eternally grateful for your ministry to her. We have a picture. There's uh, Rebecca with her husband Vernon and their baby of uh, about six weeks. Her name is Cosette Marie. And they live in Seattle, Washington. And uh, Rebecca is a case manager at Hope Place. Hope Place is part of the large rescue mission in Seattle. Uh, Hope Place is a beautiful facility built for women and children, and they have a capacity of 200 women and children, and she's one of the caseworkers there. And um, um, pastors Jeremy and Kevin Butterfield and uh, Josh and Rob, they minister to her heart and mine weekly. And... Um, we are so thrilled that she is in the service of our Lord. And uh, just a quick story. When we came, uh, um, I had four or five churches in the area that I had identified that I thought we could make a home church there. And we, Rebecca didn't know it, but she was going to pick the church because I wanted to find a church uh, where there was a strong dynamic youth group that she could relate to and they would relate to her. And we went around visiting a few churches and one of the churches in the community, I uh, took her in to the uh, youth department and they just welcomed her. And it seemed like uh, some other kids were buzzing around her. And I, I went into the sanctuary with my wife and I sat down. I said, I think, uh, I think this is going to be the place. She just really seems to connect here. And we get in a car and we're driving home and, and, uh, quiet for a little while. And finally I said, well, Rebecca, what'd you think? And she said, oh, daddy, I hated it. I don't ever want to go back there again. (laughs) I thought, what what happened, you know? And uh, the very next Sunday uh, we visited Black Rock and uh, um, the youth were in charge of the morning service. We were meeting in the the old sanctuary, that little part of our building right out there. And, um, you know, when this, when you, being here and, and having been in, in, I don't know, hundreds of churches and pastored five churches myself, uh, you, you just, you, you may or may not realize all that this church has gone through in, in the last five years and, and done it so well in such a God-honoring way. Even the struggles we had to uh, get, get a building permit and uh, and the communities, uh, some of the opposition and such. I, I can't tell you um, how proud Daniil and I have been um, to call this our home. 
Um, I want to direct your attention to some scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to talk to you uh, about what motivates you. And uh, these two verses are, they don't have a lot to do with the sermon per se. They're not the text, if you will. I'll make up for that at the end. But these are, these two verses, they're, they're taped in the front of my Bible. Um, for more than 50 years of full-time service, uh, these are life verses to me. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All is it from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I start with these because I want to talk about where we get our want to. And these simple truths in these verses are where they fuel my want to. Um, my oldest son and I debate a number of things, and uh, he in the past has said to me more than once that, Dad, your world is just too black and white. I don't know, maybe some of you older folks who have younger folks, uh, you've heard something like that from them. And I, I just smile because they say, son, sooner or later, you're going to realize that the really important things in life really are black and white. There's not a lot of ambiguity. Uh, Christ died and reconciled me. And his life, his love has compelled me. Um, we have many men and women who come to Bridgeport Rescue Mission for help. And the way they have been living has produced disastrous results. They come with health problems, alienation from others, uh, jail time, homelessness, and poverty. They need to turn and go another way. And many of them know they need to go another way. And many of them have tried time and time and time again to go another way. Our staff and I are often asked about helping your friends and your family members and your coworkers and others who struggle with addiction and the consequences of bad decisions. And we often respond to your, in, your, your inquiry. Are they ready to receive help? Um, do they have a want to? Motivation for life change is a monumental issue. Recovery from addiction is hard work. It requires a person to change the way they think, to learn the attitudes and the thinking of Christ, to leave destructive friends and places, and to develop new friends. And without a personal want to, you can't even begin the process. Motivation is critical. It's a critical key to success in any endeavor. What motivates you? What gets you going? And then what keeps you going? As I think about the issue of motivation, I can list what I believe are the five greatest motivators. You know, we all have responsibilities. We, we have to earn a living. We provide for our families, uh, get an education, pay our taxes, raise our children, care for our aging parents. I don't know if my son's here this morning, but did you hear that last one there? 
get another certification, uh, finish our degrees, uh, replace the roof, mow the lawn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You may have responsibilities for motivating others. You may lead a team or a staff or a family or students. How do you encourage your kids or your spouse to do their homework? How do you do that? You know, there are hundreds of books and videos and seminars that have been produced on the subject of motivation. I'm reading a book called The Last Lion. It's a biography of Winston Churchill in his early years. I, I am amazed what an incorrigible student and child he was. I'm telling you, if you had a kid like him, I, I'd have given up long time before his folks did. I mean, he frustrated his parents, his teachers, his tutors, and his instructors, no matter how they tried to motivate him. His father, they, they had some wealth and they hired some of the best motivators of the day. No matter how they tried to motivate him to do the things he needed to do, he would excel only at the things he wanted to do. If you get mail or electronic communication from Bridgeport Rescue Mission, and you do, don't you? I mean, is there anybody here that doesn't get mail from me? I want, yeah. Just give me your, your email or your address and I'll take care of that for you. You know, people ask me, they say, why do you send me all that mail? And I simply say, because it works. <laughs> we spend about $16 a year sending you, per person, sending you all that. It's worth that to keep in touch with you and to let you know what we're doing. And uh, at any rate, you've seen on our mail this tagline, fighting poverty from the inside out. What that refers to is our conviction that problems created by our behaviors require more than social engineering and money. The problems that face us as a community, as a country, require far more than changing the names of, of things and social engineering and throwing more money at it. We believe that the solution begins with a change of heart. Occasionally people without a biblical basis for life get close to this truth. They recognize that some folks, quote, have a change of heart after for perhaps a, a near death experience or some life crises. He changed after that close call. At Bridgeport Rescue Mission, we advertise fighting poverty from the inside out because we believe 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. It begins with a change of heart, which God changes. Titus 3.5 says it this way, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus Christ is the life changer. Now, many of you have embraced Christ as your savior. Who moved you or what moved you to embrace Christ as your savior? And what moves you to keep going? I suggest there are five great motivators in life. Faith, hope, love, fear, and hate. 
You may categorize fate and fear, uh, fear and hate as negative. However, we do want our kids to be fearful of things, be fearful of playing in traffic or be fearful of drugs or strangers on the internet. And the scriptures tell us to hate evil. I want to use my time, what's left this morning, to talk to you about one of these. I have seen many people change their direction of their lives and continue that positive change. I just got a call on Friday. A woman came by. She graduated from our program in 2002 in May. Her name is Evelyn. She lives up near Hartford. She's been clean and sober ever since she graduated 18 years ago. And she's working on getting a pardon. And she needed a letter from us uh, stating that she'd completed the program. We have story after story of people who've come to Bridgeport Rescue Mission when they embrace the love of God and they discover hope. They turn their lives around and go another direction. Romans 5.13, may the God of hope, and I'm putting my emphasis on this. I understand that. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. On one side of the mission's main campus building, there's a sign that's been there for at least 25 years. It says, hope for all who enter. Our annual fundraising banquet is called Restore Hope. That's coming up October the 10th. I hope you're going to be there. If you're not, get on our website and and get, get registered. Our women's event in the spring is called Hearts of Hope. Hebrews 11.1 says this, how faith, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, becoming passionate about hope will move you and becoming passionate about hope will keep you moving. I just had my 73rd birthday Retirement has never been one of my goals. It's not on the list. Now, I'm not stupid. I know that I'm getting older and one day I may not be able to do whatever. But as long as I can, I want to serve Christ. I had a dear, a wonderful experience this morning. After the service, an older lady in the first service came up to me and she told me how she's been praying for me every day. I mean, when you get as much mail from me as you do, you know, you're either going to hate me or pray for me. And uh, she came up and she said she's been praying for me every day. And then she said, you know, I, when I heard you were leaving, I've been praying that you would have something more to do in the kingdom work. I, I was so thrilled by that. And I told her, I said, please don't stop. Our nation is grieving and frustrated and confused over the horrific tragedies of drug overdoses, suicides, and senseless killings. My oldest son, Matthew, was at our home yesterday helping us pack up and and fix up the house to sell it. And while he was there, he got a call from his son, his oldest, my grandson, who lives in St. Paul, Minnesota. And they were talking. I could tell there was a little seriousness to the conversation. And afterwards, I learned that one of Jake's close friends there in St. Paul had just overdosed and died. Young, young person, 23 years old. 
I believe that much of it is motivated by hopelessness. Take a minute and ask yourself, where does hope come from? I'll pull you back to Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope. It sounds like the scriptures talk about God being the origin of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Accessing the God of hope is by trusting in him so that you may overflow, not just a little bit, but overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've said all that to get to my three points. Because we know a sermon, you have good preachers here, you know a sermon has to have three points. That was all the introduction. I know that was a little long. But I'm gonna give you these three points very quickly. Number one, hope is necessary for life change. You're not gonna change a life without hope. You're not gonna change direction without hope. You're not gonna keep moving in that better direction without hope. Zechariah chapter nine, verse 12. It's a time in the nation of Israel when they really had it tough. I mean, the Jews have had it tough all the time. We've known them, right? And, and, and it says there, return the, the message of God to, through the prophet to the people. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much. Hope anchored Israel in their worst circumstances. Hope changed and sustained their survival as a people set apart by God to be a blessing to all who would believe. Pastor Larry gave me a quote earlier. I think it was this week. We were having lunch together. He didn't know where he got the quote. I know it's, it's too good a stuff. He didn't make it up. So I, he got it somewhere. <laughs> He didn't try to take credit for me. Don't, don't miss me. Listen to this. You can take away a man's goal and he may cry. You can take away a man's health and he may despair. But if you take away a man's hope, all journeys end. I'm telling you, the people who come to us, they're in such a state of hopelessness. And so many people across this nation and, and other parts of the world in such hopelessness. Second, I, I want you to, the, the second point is this. I believe that hope is created by promise. I, that's where you get hope. Hope comes from promise. Listen, you remember Christmas time? Some of you are too old to remember when you were a kid and you just, you couldn't wait. You couldn't sleep. You know, your parents had to, my wife, Danielle, she loves to get a gift. She. You can give her anything and she's very happy. She's, she's the easiest person you can ever imagine to give a gift. She appreciates everything and anything, but she goes crazy. I would wrap a Christmas present two weeks before Christmas. And if the tree wasn't up, I'd just set it in the living room where the tree's gonna go. She would pick it up. She would weigh it. She would smell it. She would shake it. And I would, I would wrap one thing in front of it. I would take box after box and shrink them down. I'd put marbles in there. Sometimes I put chains in there. I put a little piece of chain. So when she rattled, she wouldn't, I put broken glass in one. I mean, it was just so much fun because it's the hope, the hope, the promise it comes from the hope. You know, all the joyous times in our lives are about promise. The most moving part of a marriage ceremony is when they promise each other. 
You can, as a pastor, I've done 130 weddings and you can look at the congregation and when they are exchanging their vows, if not all the men, at least all the women, they're, they're, they're just, you know, they're, they're beaming. They're, that's when you're wiping your eyes. The promise, the radiance of pregnancy is driven by the promise of new life. That high school or college graduation certainly is a celebration of accomplishment, but let's be honest. You and I both know the real joy is the promise that they will soon be off the family payroll. <laughs> the third point is this. Life-changing hope comes, it becomes reality when you believe the promises of God. Our billboards, our radio, our telephones, our televisions, our tweets, our Instagrams, our emails, they are full of people making us promises. But what matters most about a promise is who is making the promise. Psalm 119, 114 says this, you are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Now, a lot of you are people of integrity and great character, and you, you may make me a promise. But I'm telling you, I've been around long enough to know that even the best of us will disappoint our loved ones. But God will never disappoint. He never has. In the business world, the integrity of the signer is more important than the contract. Many of the men and women who come to the mission, they come because they are desperate for food, shelter, clothing, sobriety. They have been so brutalized by those who should have cared for and protected them. We got a graduate who's a volunteer at the mission and her mother began to prostitute her when she was seven years old started giving her alcohol when she was eight so it would be easier, introduced her to heroin by the time she was nine. People like that, they, don't, they can't trust the people they do know and the people they can see, let alone the God they can't see. But you know, when they begin to believe, you know, God has always kept his word. From the first time, from Adam and Eve in the garden, when he said to them, if you eat of the forbidden fruit, you're going to die. To Jesus Christ, just days before they crucified him, he said, look, if you kill me, I'm going to come back. And he did. God's always kept his word. Whose promises are you believing? Listen to some of these promises. Some of them, they're up on the screen. John 1, 12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection, the life. Whoever believes in me will live though he dies. 
I'm the vine and you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8, 37, know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is a, a favorite one. Roman or Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. You don't have to wonder about whether you can make it or not because God has made you a promise. Where on earth do you find promises like these? And I wrap this up this morning with a little, uh, with a promise from um, John, or I'm sorry, yeah, John chapter six. This is where Jesus had changed his teaching somewhat and it was far more demanding and a lot of people started to fall away. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, are you, are you also gonna leave me? And then Peter answered in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. No one has ever made you that promise. No one ever will. No one ever can. No one can keep that except God himself. Peter nailed it. He said, Lord, we'll follow you because no one else is promising us eternal life. I am a black and white guy. What moves you? My life changed and continues to change because of hope. My hope created is created by promises. And I'm confident of these promises because of the promises made by God. Stand with me, please, for closing prayer. I want you to take this promise as a benediction. Jude only has one chapter, verse 24 and 25 says this. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. To him who is able to keep you. Be hopeful and share that hope with somebody else this week. God bless you. Thank you for your attention. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online. And we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.